Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Rico. <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> and right alongside is none other than Legends Tour player and LVJ professional, Cindy Miller, and of course, we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are we today? <clears throat> Pretty good. Uh, nothing like a good cough to start the show, the show off. Um, but other than that, I'm doing really well. How are you, how are things up in Buffalo? It's getting a little chilly. It's about forty some degrees, and it's raining, and the mm. wind's blowing. So into the dome we go. Right. <laughs> That's the one nice thing about having an indoor uh, facility to uh, to teach out of is uh, when it gets a little nippy out there, a little rainy, you can just duck inside and and still continue to help. Uh, uh, those golfers uh, improve their game. So, all right, we've got a great show for you this morning. We're going to be joined here momentarily uh, by one of the uh, recipients of uh, on the race for the card this season. I'll tell you a little bit about her. And then a little bit later on, uh, Cindy and I are going to dip into the no BS zone uh, to discuss 10 ways to improve your course strategy. But first, let me uh, introduce our special guest to start things off. Uh, she's now an LPGA Tour player. Of course, I'm talking about Gina Kim. She's 22 and resides in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, She originally qualified for the Epson Tour, finishing T35 at the 2021 LPGA Q Series uh, to first earn her membership on both the LPGA Tour and the Epson Tour. Uh, She turned professional in 2022, so it was a rookie year. Uh, And actually, her first victory was on the Epson Tour uh, as a professional, the Innova Mission Inn Resort and Club Championship. Uh, Previous to that, she won the 2021 Pinehurst North and South Women's Amateur, uh, and as I mentioned, she finished in the eighth position in the uh, census race for the card, earning her LPJ card for 2023. So I'm sure she's quite excited about that. So Cindy, let's welcome our guest this morning, Gina Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Great welcome. job Congre- this year, dear. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is yeah, awesome. Yeah, she did. Awesome, awesome, awesome. She- yeah, she did very, very well, and um, so I wanted to pick up on something. That, um, I'm going to start first, if you don't mind, Cindy, and I, I just want to pick up on something that, that we were talking about before we went live, and um, of course, uh, Gina had come through the, the Q series uh, the previous winter uh, in December, and I was playing down here in, in Alabama to uh, to finish out that in, in order to get uh, qualified to be able to play uh, on the tour. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that. You were, you were saying, Gina, that you were glad you didn't have to go back 
um, this year that you're able to to just move on. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously it was a little cold and a little little uh, uh, foggy uh, for part of it, but um, how is it? I mean, just for people that don't understand that don't understand the Q series and what you have to go through, uh, it's a pretty grueling ordeal. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that before we get into uh, a little bit about your win uh, earlier this season. Yeah, I mean, Q series, you got eight days of competitive golf, but um, after four days, they make a cut. So everybody's already tense um, from the get-go. And uh, we started in Mobile, and um, it was a little wet, a little foggy, a little cold. I mean, whatever you can think of to make an even tense situation a little more miserable. <laughs> um, but, you know, just just the fact that you got to make a certain number um, really puts a lot of pressure on a lot of people. Um, I think I was probably in a little more – privileged situation in the sense that I was an amateur and um, mm-hmm. I I still had a semester left um, at Duke. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like I had a little bit more comfort than other pros who had to return back to Q-Series to try and get their card again for next year. Um, right. But, I mean, it's just it's just so cutthroat. I, it, it, it's a very hard cut line. I mean, if you don't make it within – a certain number of people like you just you just don't have it and you luckily you can go back to Epson tour but you know obviously everybody's dreams are out on the LPGA so I don't know how many people I've seen crying their eyes out after the first week and then even on the second week I've seen people cry their eyes out whether it be from happiness or or from frustration sadness I mean you, you get all sorts of emotions and you see you see it left and right so it's it's a grueling process. It's a lot. I, I will definitely say that for sure. And it's honestly, I think those eight days of golf is probably the easiest aspect. Just having to play four days and then pack up and drive two and a half hours over to Dothan and then get ready right. on that course. It's just the whole logistical aspect is, is the tough part, I think, and just trying to, trying to do your best in those tough uh, weather conditions. Yeah, well said. Let me ask you um, Yeah, go ahead, Sydney. So you went last year. You were a senior at Duke. You had one more semester left, so you had to go back to school in January? I did, yes. Um, so uh, after I made my decision to go pro, um, I left the team officially, but I was still technically a student at Duke. So um, during COVID year, I overloaded on my classes because, you know, I wasn't sure how long we were going to be sitting around not not playing any tournaments. So I overloaded, and I actually was ahead of my academic schedule. So I only needed one more class to graduate. Um, and so what would I? So what I would do is um, I would play a tournament. It would end on Sunday. Fly back in to Durham go to class in person on Monday, then fly back out to another tournament, and I would just keep doing this. And obviously with my status at the time, I did have to play some Monday qualifiers. So um, my professor was nice enough to, you know, let me miss class a few times. But uh, other than that, I I had to show up. Uh, (laughs) I had to, you know, do the hard work and and earn that degree the right way. So, um, yeah, it was was a bit tough. were the Monday qualifiers on the LPGA Tour or the Epson Tour? 
there are no Monday qualifiers on the Eps, and so it was a LPGA. It was at the beginning of the season um, when Epson wasn't going on just yet. So instead of sitting around, um, I was kind of a little antsy to just get out there and get a feel for what it was like. Um, so yeah, so those are my Monday qualifiers. How many events did you get in on the on the LPGA Tour? Uh, with the status that I had? Yes. Um, before the first reshuffle, Lotte in Hawaii was my first one. That's kind of where everyone kind of expects that, you know, mostly everyone will get their first try. But that's like all the way in April. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get two sponsor exemptions for the two uh, L.A. tournaments for the L.A. Swing. Um, and then Founders Cup, I got in kind of last minute. So I got I got very lucky, um, and uh, that I I managed to make one cut <laughs> before the first reshuffle, which was at the Founders Cup, and that's how it shuffled me up just a little bit. Then, obviously, a couple more good tournaments at Shoprite and Meyer was enough to get me into a KPMG Evian, and really just boosted me up for the rest of the season. But I chose not to go towards the end because I decided to focus my energy towards Epson and get my car through there. How important was it for you to be able to experience, I don't want to say the real tour, but the LPGA tour, to see how you measure up and then go back to the Epson tour? Did you have more confidence when you went back to Epson to hopefully win some tournaments and finish in the top 10? Absolutely. I 100% believe that because, you know, LPGA is tough. Like everyone's hungry for it. Everyone wants to win. And, you know, Epson is the same way too. Um, I just think the way they set up the course on LPGA is slightly different than Epson. Um, So I think I managed to hone my skills in a little better from there. And, you know, I, I had the privilege to play with, you know, some of the top players during a practice round, during a tournament round. I I had the privilege of playing with Jessica Corda a little bit. And, you know, their insight and their experience is is really, really invaluable. So I got to pick their brains a little bit. And, you know, having that knowledge um, and kind of getting my confidence, you know, being able to say, you know what, even though I'm a rookie, like the fact that I was able to make it into half of the majors, like, I'd say that's a pretty good start. You know, I'd, I'd say that's a, a really, really strong start. So whenever I went back to the Epson, I was like, okay, you know, I want to win this thing. I think I can get top 10 every time I come out here. Um, and then obviously my win at Epson in turn gave me confidence to go out to the LPGA and do well. So I think it was a, it worked hand in hand and it, it was a two-way street. I think um, both tours just, kind of fed off each other for me and gave me a lot of confidence going back and forth. So I, I, I think I was a, in a pretty unique but privileged position. Absolutely. Now, one more question, and then I'll let Ted talk. Um, <laughs> how do they set up the courses differently on the LPGA versus the Epson? PGA, I mean, obviously, distance is pretty similar, but, like, um, the pin locations, uh kind of the speed of the green. A lot of times on LPGA, 
it's very tough to go straight for the pin. Um, you're, if anything, a lot of the birdies that I've seen, besides the occasional tap-ins, was from uh, long putts, chip-ins, hole-outs, you know. But out on Epson, the greens are a little softer. So a lot of girls um, tend to be aggressive and just stick it right next to the pin. And rightfully so, because, you know, that's that's how you're going to win out on Epson. You need to shoot at least five, six under to really have a chance uh, for the title, um, which I found very different. Um, and I noticed it really quickly when I was kind of jumping back and forth. And I was like, you know, this is great. I'm glad they're getting their confidence. But, you know, when you're out on LPGA, it's going to be harder to be doing that, you know. So when they miss a green, mm-hmm. They're going to be in tight spots, um, and it's going to be a tight place to try to make up for par. Um, and and a lot of a lot of caddies out on the LPGA, when they sometimes come out to Epson to help out, they notice the difference too. So, you know, it's it's a really interesting interesting dynamic between the two the two tours and how they challenge each player. Um, but you know, I I think. Each tour has their reasons, and I, I think, um, you know, I'm I'm just there to play. But I I did mention, you know, like it'd be cool to just like toughen it up a little bit, you know, see how the Epson Tour players can, you know, really challenge themselves and really prepare themselves in terms of course management when they when they graduate up to the LPGA. So um, I think it was pretty cool to be able to see that myself. Um, what the difference was. Awesome. I have one more thing. Sorry, Ted. (laughs) When when I played on tour, and I tell my students this, I I made friends with all the great players. I asked them for help. I asked them if I could play a practice round with them. So I really instill the the thought that it's good to play with people that are better than you because it's good to learn from them and don't be intimidated by them. And and so kudos to you for for doing that and gleaning you know information from players that have been there and have more experience than you. Great job. Thank you. Yeah, I was intimidated at first, but you know, it turns out they're all so sweet. Uh, it's just it's just them being focused and their game face. But um, they're they're really sweet. Uh, a lot of the veterans are more than happy to share their knowledge, um, you know, because it's part of, you know, um, growing the game and bringing in the next generation of golfers. So I was really grateful to all of them who were willing to, you know, share some of their knowledge that they've gotten over the years. Awesome. Ted? Very good. Um, Cindy's learned to get as many questions in as she can before she turns it over to me because she'll never get another one in other ways. I'm just joking. Um, so you said something that was really interesting to me um, when you talked about the, the difference between the two, uh, two tours. And obviously we understand um, on the Epson tour, uh, again, that's really a lead up to the LPGA. So they're probably not going to typically make it quite as tough. But one thing that was really interesting, and, I'm, and I'm, you kind of alluded to this, and I just want to get you maybe to expand a little bit. You mentioned that you know on the Epson, a lot of the girls – um, really fire at the pins because the greens tend to be a little softer, maybe not as quick. Um, 
for those girls, you were very fortunate because you got to play some LPJ Tour events and kind of saw the difference right away. So you knew that difference. Uh, but for somebody that's coming off the Epson, um, as you are now, um, do you have to change your strategy a little bit? Because on the Epson, as you said, you know, you're firing for more pins because the greens are very receptive, whereas on the LPJ, you're not going to get away with it as easily. Um, so do you have to change your strategy playing in an LPJ event uh, in 2023 than what you did this past season? Well, assuming that LPJ keeps making it as tough as it is, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a drastic change. Um, mm-hmm. ever, everyone on Epson Tour is they're incredibly great ball strikers and, and they're very accurate in where they want to go. So, yeah. you know, the fact that they have that skill already set up for them, I just think like being able to communicate with your caddy because they're probably going to depend on their caddies a lot because, um, you know, these caddies been out here for a while. So they, they've seen all sorts of mishaps but they also seen a lot of success so Mm -hmm. um you know just being able to talk it out with them and say you know honestly if you aim here this slope's going to take it all the way down to that hole and we're going to have a good birdie chance and being able to trust them i I think that was key for me because you know i'm seeing a lot of these course for the first time like i've never seen these places before and the right. one or two practice rounds that you get, that, that's kind of it. you got to go in there and you just got to swing it. Um, so I, I I wouldn't say, like, completely drastically changing their game, but just changing the target lines a little bit. That's kind of it pretty much. And the way they putt, the way they get around the greens and everything, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's amazing to see what how much talent the Epson Tour people have. Um, so... You know, just being able to adjust slightly for those differences, I think they'll do amazing next year. Yeah, I think they will as well. And this was, in all fairness, this was Epson's first year as the title sponsor uh, for the tour, so they're kind of getting their feet wet a little bit too. Um, so I'm sure as they have their meetings in the off season, um, they may, uh, you know, change the strategy a little bit as well of how they want to have things set up in that. But it's interesting to do that. Um, so as I mentioned, you had uh, your first uh, professional win at the, uh, I'm going to shorten this, uh, the Inova Club Championship. Um, that had to be a, a sigh of relief for you uh, for two reasons. One, as you mentioned earlier, it, it, it sort of reinforced the, the ability that you knew that or you had the ability to, to get out there and win, but also had to give you a little bit of a breathing room as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience and the confidence it gave you to move forward uh, for the rest of the season. Right. So it's quite funny, uh, quite funny with the timing of everything. Uh, before the Innova, I graduated from Duke uh, two weeks before that tournament. <laughs> so now that wow. I was able to, you know, really focus on golf and, you know, really be able to have more time to kind of not rush and be able to do sort of my routine and my practice. Um, I, I felt that was already comforting to, to my um, to my soul. Uh, I, I'm I'm a person who likes to practice a lot and really get the repetitions in, obviously with purpose. But um, that was not a luxury that I could afford while I was in school. Um, and, and this was the same thing for Q series. I was in the middle of exam season, so as soon as I was done with golf, I had to go right back into study again. But like I mentioned, um, I was 
80, 81st on the money list before mm-hmm. Innova or before that whole Florida swing. Um, so I wasn't expecting to get my car through there. Honestly, I was expecting just to play those events more as like warm up and preparation for the LPGA events that I, I got in later on. And um, somehow I got tied for 10th week in Florida. And then the second week, which is my win, I won. And it catapulted me mm-hmm. up into sixth place. So then I was like, oh, crap. Like, I might actually <laughs> need to stay here a little longer to keep this up because <laughs> I was not expecting this at all. If anything, I was actually about to withdraw out of that event, the one that I won, if I had made the U.S. Open because I was first alternate. So I almost withdrew. Like, I was like, you know what, Mom? It's only 40 minutes down the road. Like, I think I would feel really really upset if we just left I, I think we would have lost a great opportunity and somehow my my gut feeling was right and uh it turned out great so I, but after that tournament wow. it gave me so much confidence and you know whether it's on epson or lpga i'm a huge believer that if you win once or if you're a champion then you definitely know how to win again because you understand mm-hmm. the feeling of what it takes to win so right. I was like, Mom, you know, I feel I feel great for our LPGA events. And my next LPGA events were ShopRite and Meyer. So I got tied for 28th at ShopRite, tied for 18th at Meyer, which catapulted me into the um, Evian and KPMG. Crazy how, like, little things like that can really change your mindset on a lot of things and really prepare you for things that I didn't I – didn't, I wasn't sure I was ready for at the beginning of the season. So, you know, I'm really grateful that I was able to experience all of this within my rookie year um, and just kind of understand what it takes to succeed out there. Well, you've obviously prepared yourself very well because listening to you explain um, and, and sort of analyze the whole process, you're very intuitive. Um, and, and that's a great quality to have. That, that to me is a sign of a champion. Because, you know, a lot of girls go out there and players, I shouldn't say girls, but players on both, you know, all the tours, uh, some go out there and kind of flail around the great ball strikers and that, but they don't really seem to have um, as laser a focus as I believe you do. Um, there are very few players, I believe, that have that, and that's a great quality to have. I want to ask you one other thing, and then I'll, I'll bounce it back to Cindy, um, and, and just sort of give us an overview. Give us a day and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about obviously after college and that, as you were on Epson or even through the LPJ events. Give us, walk us through a day in your life uh, as you're preparing for the event or, or tournaments. What happens when you get up in the morning? You know, obviously, you're eating and things like that. But how does your day start typically? Run us through the process. Um, are, you, are you asking for like a tournament day or like just a practice day? Maybe a little of both. Why don't you give us a typical practice day, what that would look like, and then give us what what goes on typically for a tournament day. What do you do things differently or or the same or what? Yeah, give us both. Start with the practice and then give us a a tournament event or day, sorry. Well, you know, in junior golf and in college, or mostly junior golf and stuff, I, I feel like I've developed a work ethic where, you know, I'm I'm a person who will keep practicing until they get it. And then after that, I'll still keep practicing until I master, like to the point where I can do it with my eyes closed. And obviously to get to that kind of standard, it takes a lot of hours 
and a lot of energy mm-hmm. to do that. And I think once I went into college, I started making the transition because I got a lot of other things to take care of in college, like my laundry, like I got to eat, I got to do my homework, make sure I study for that midterm exam. So by the time I got to pro-life, um, I realized, you know, I can't be out here grinding for hours because I'm going to burn out within the next year or two if I keep this up. Uh, so mm-hmm. everything's all with intention. Now, I do believe, like, drill work or, like, something you're working on technically, yeah, that's probably going to need a little more repetition because you need to get used to the feeling. But I'd say, like, in a in a normal practice day, I'd probably go out around, like, 9 or something um, and usually start off with putting. I, I love starting with putting, and I love ending with putting. Um, you know, I'll get some three-footers six footers. I'll, I'll get that going, do some drill work, go around, start, start messing around, you know, hit some long putts, get the feel going. Um, and that'll probably take about what, an hour and a half, um, maybe two hours. Mm-hmm. And then I go over to hit some balls, send some videos to my coaches and, you know, get their input, make sure I'm doing what I need to do um, correctly. Um, that's probably about like what, an hour, hour and a half. Then, you know, go in, get some lunch, and then late afternoon I'll come back out and just chip and putt, chip and putt. So most of the time, like about a good majority of my time, I'm spending on putting and chipping because the way the the LPGA sets up these courses, you kind of need your chipping and putting to be in place if you you really want to shoot low. I mean, the way these girls putt, unbelievable and it's not like i mean yes they're very skillful but it's you can just see the confidence just oozing out of them and the amazing feel they have around these greens they could miss the green and i still be like they're going to still make it because they're they're putting and chipping is so good they're still going to make it anything around the green is fair game to them um but on a tournament day obviously i'm a little more mindful of my energy levels to have an hour and a half of warm-up um so like 20 about 20 25 minutes with putting uh then i would go hip balls stretch you know hip balls and then go to the chipping green go all the way around hit different shots um not too many like two three balls in one spot and then move around go into the bunker hit some two and then go back to uh putting um, but this time short putts. So I use, I have a putting mat, the one with the, like the putting arc and right. do one handed. Yep. Then I do two hands and then I hit right to left, left to right putts, uphill, downhill. And then usually like 10 minutes, 15 minutes before my tea time, I head over to the tee and, you know, get ready to play. And then after the round, gosh, I think what, 20 minutes, 20 minutes of practice. If I felt like, you know, there was something that was a little, little, eh, not as great as I would have liked it. And then there were some days where I was just so tired. I was like, Mom, let's go home. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I, I think I'll be fine tomorrow. I mean, there was many days like that because it's just, it's stressful and it's draining. And I think people really need to look at the big picture and, and see this more as a long marathon rather than a sprint. I mean, that was, it was, that was a bit of a culture shock. Like, you're not going to see a lot of veterans out there just grinding on the range hitting balls forever. So I, I've learned very quickly. And um, 
I'm trying to, you know, be a little more mindful of my time and try to find a routine that's perfect for me and, you know, not drive myself crazy. Yeah, and, and well said, by the way. And, and it's interesting because – and the reason why I wanted you to, to sort of go through that process, and I'm assuming uh, somewhere in all of that uh, schedule uh, – I don't know whether you have any sort of like a workout routine um, that keeps yourself in shape and that besides, you know, uh, working on your game. But um, I'm assuming somewhere you squeeze that in in all of those hours. But um, the reason why I want to do that is, is just to give the, the listeners a real appreciation. And obviously everybody's different. Every player's different. Some, you know, maybe grind out a little bit more. Some grind out a little bit less. Um, but just to give them a, a general idea of really what it's like out there because there's a lot of young girls that Cindy will well I'm sure will tell you um, that would love to be where you are but maybe don't fully appreciate what it takes to to get to where you are um, and you know it's always good to sort of lay that out um, Cindy go ahead you keep saying mom I want to go home I'm tired does your mother travel with you Yes, at the beginning of the year, she couldn't uh, because she was still working, but she finally retired in June, um, and now she follows me around full-time. I mean, honestly, she has more passion for for traveling with me on the LPGA tour than her job, which is crazy, but she, she loves following around. She loves learning the game as much as I do, probably even more, and she's always trying to find something to learn. <laughs> That's great. Does she play? No, she she used to play fun just for recre uh, recreational purposes with my dad, but um, she she hasn't had the time. But usually when I'm at home and we're on the uh, range together, she'll try to hit a few few balls and just have fun with me. But it's it's a nice way to spend time together. That's great. That's great. What do you love most about what you do? I I truly love meeting new people, um, and I I love the experiences that we can share t- with each other and relate to each other. Um, I guess growing up, at least within my my schools or high school, high school, middle school, and elementary school, there were there was many times where I uh, couldn't go to a birthday party or. I couldn't show up for a school dance. I couldn't go to homecoming. I almost even missed prom. It took a lot of <laughs> um, messing around with my schedule to make time for that, too. Um, and, you know, my friends couldn't quite understand why I had to sacrifice this much just for golf. And I think being out there on tour with the other girls who who had to sacrifice just as me or even more than me, just to make ends meet and just to pursue their dreams, I think there's a certain level of, you know, understanding each other and res- and having respect for each other that, you know, it's tough out here, but, you know, the fact that you're working just as hard as I am and we're trying to be better, I, I think it's, it's really great to see. Um, and-, and being able to just, you know, even after a tough day of golf, just being able to say, hey, you want to go get ice cream and, just talk about it or just talk about something else. Um, I, I think it's great. Uh, I mean, my my best friend and teammate um, on the Duke team, she just won the Espen Tour Championship, and just being able to watch her get her first 
Essentor victory was was emotional for me. I mean, she's worked so hard for that. And so just just being able to see people's hard work pay off because this game is so fickle. Sometimes you work hard and you don't always see it pay off. But I think that's also kind of the excitement from it. Like, you know, one day it's going to pay off. We just don't know when. So I, I think I, I just like um, seeing other people succeed and seeing myself succeed and doing well together. Awesome. And what's the hardest part about doing this? Being alone <laughs> and traveling alone. Uh, I think it's been especially harder for me um, because I had to leave the team a semester early and after kind of getting into a habit of traveling with the team, packing up yourself and getting on the plane yourself, I'm like, this feels very weird. Like something's just empty, like something something doesn't feel right. Um, and just even on a tough day of golf, I think a normal tendency for every great golfer is to kind of start nitpicking about what went wrong. And it's not to say that there's something wrong. Like it's just, you know, as a competitive player, we're always trying to find ways to get better. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to let go of some stuff. But sitting in the hotel room by yourself in between four walls, closed doors, it's, it's tough. It can get real tough and it can get dark pretty quickly. So, um, and just not being able to go home when you want to. Um, I was before, before I started my off season, I was on the road for seven weeks. Uh, I haven't, I hadn't been home for about two months and, um, just kind of, having to get used to the hotel life. I mean, there were some days where I wouldn't even remember my hotel room number or what car I was driving because we were just constantly switching week in and week out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was getting getting really bad. I mean, I I didn't even know what day of the week it was. I didn't know what I had for breakfast. It's just you're just always in a go, go, go mindset that you you don't even look back. You just constantly got to look forward and, and, and you try your best with whatever's in front of you. So. I think those are the tough parts about tour life, but I think, like I mentioned before, the the people made it better. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know what, though? My husband and I both played on tour, and so it's it's like, let's go to this. We had to go to a Legends Tour event in Boston, and I said, are we flying or driving? He goes, no, let's drive. And I'm like, yay. I mean, I love getting in the car and doing a road trip. So no matter how old you are, you're still going to like doing that. So, right. I, I think I mean, it's fun. I mean, my last Epson event, we could have flown back home, but we just did a one-way rental, and we just drove the rental car all the way back home. I was like, Mom, I think I'm kind of sick of planes right now. Like, let's just drive up, turn on the music, eat some snacks in the car, and just, you know, go at our pace, you know, not be stressed out about making a flight or whatever. So, I, I don't know. That was that was pretty good. I even though like I mean it's only eight and a half hours, but some people don't like that. I was like, I will take the eight and a half hours. Count me in. Yeah, me too. Me too. Good job. Good job. Me, All right, Ted, you can have her. Yeah, me three. Thank you. Me three. Uh, I love a good road trip, and uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, traveling by plane is not as fun as it once was. It's actually quite miserable to be honest. And I'd rather be in a car for eight hours. And, you know, the nice thing is you can stop wherever you want, uh, rest, grab some snacks. I'm all about snacks. 
So it's uh, it makes a, a lot of fun. Um, we actually had Jarvie on last week. Um, you, you were mentioning uh, she was your friend, and of course she won the Epson Tour Championship. Uh, I was actually at the event uh, this year, and uh, you guys really lucked out weather-wise, uh, considering what went through there the week before. Uh, she was obviously very excited about her win and and uh, is looking forward to uh, playing, uh, you know, of course, next season. Um, she didn't make the top 10. She, fin- I believe, finished number 12, so she'll have to go to uh, Q-Series, but um, uh, she'll battle it out there. Um, what's next for you? Obviously, you're going to get ready for 2023. When's your first event that you know of, and are you gonna, what are you going to do in the off-season between now and that event? Obviously, you're going to practice some, but are you going to take some downtime and just do some other things, maybe hang out with friends or what have you? What, what's your game plan from now until the first event you teed up? Yeah, I mean, there's one more OPJ event um, before the CME, which is the Pelican. So I'm going to go try and Monday qualify there. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, then it's okay. I already got my card secured. It's just a bonus week for me. But um, actually, yesterday and today after this interview, I've been watching my team play in their collegiate event nearby. Um, And I got to hang out with them, talk to my coach a bit, kind of see some people that I missed from college. And, um, you know, just I haven't even touched a club for a week right now, which is impressive for me. Um, (laughs) I've always been a grinder, but I think I needed the downtime and I'll probably start practicing again just to get ready for the Pelican. But after that, um, I'll probably head over to L.A. to go see my coaches um, and kind of do some winter training with them, you know, get my swing speed back up, uh, work on uh, some technical stuff with my swing and, and get my putting to where I want it to be. Um, and, you know, next year I'll probably maybe go out into – one or two Epson events uh, before the LPJ season starts just to warm up and get some competitive flow going again. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm just going to consistently keep training up until March, but, you know, I'm not going to be going too crazy or too fast. I'll just be consistent and just show up and get the work done and then go back home and spend some time with family and friends. Is mom going to travel with you again uh, next season? Um, probably most of Some. the time, but you know, I yeah, I've, I I felt bad for her because um, she, I guess those seven weeks really took a bigger toll on her than me because she hasn't left the house in like a week. Um, she's just <laughs> laying in bed. So I was like, mom, I think maybe you need more off weeks than I do. So you know, uh, I'll probably travel a few myself since I already I already know the routine i already know how it works so um i'll I'll probably travel myself a little more next year um you know but obviously whenever she wants to come she can come yeah she might have to pace herself a little bit more uh next season but that's great that she's able to come and spend that quality time with you and and obviously she enjoys it very much and uh, i think that's a pretty pretty sweet retirement to be able to go and follow your daughter around and as she pursues her dreams um, well, Gina, we want to thank you for, for spending some time with us this morning. Uh, good luck next season. I hope you'll stay in touch and come back and visit with us again as you battled out uh, with the, some of the best players in the world on the LPJ Tour. But congratulations again on earning your, your card off the Epson Tour and also for the win at uh, Nova. 
uh, and best of luck uh, this season coming up. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck, honey. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was Gina Kim, uh, now LPGA Tour player, uh, getting ready. Uh, actually, Cindy, she's going to play a little bit before um, she finishes. <laughs> the season's not really quite done for her. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just want to get your thoughts. I know we got to move on because we ran a little bit longer, uh, so we'll have to whip through the, the no BS zone, which is fine. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts overall on on uh, on Gina. Um, did you kind of see the same thing as I did? Very... Um, very meticulous in her approach to the game, really understands her game, knows what works, what doesn't work for her, and uh, I think she's very observant as what what's going on around her. What do you think? I agree. I agree. It's a business, and she follows the plan for the business, and mm-hmm. which clearly is working, very strategic, um, intelligent. She knows what she wants. She understands herself and has a plan on how to get what she wants. Yeah, I, that's my feeling as well. I think she's very, you know, very articulate and obviously very, very smart. Um, you know, just really understands herself. And that, I think that's half the battle is understanding yourself. Um you know, and knowing what your limitations are and not being afraid to push uh, those limitations a little bit as well and um, and learns to adapt very quickly. She recognized by watching others that have been out for, you know, many, many more years how they've adjusted themselves to be able to get out there and play uh, and not burn themselves out. She recognized that very early because how many times we've had some of these young ladies come on, you know, on the cusp of almost quitting because they're, you know, overwhelmed, and then they finally just sort of let the air out of the tire and said, okay, I'm going to relax now, and they went out and won. So, um, you know, it's good that she's learning that very early on and recognizing, yeah, I'm going to have to get out there and work, but not so much that I'm going to end up killing myself and burning out in the first couple of years. So I think she's got a good future ahead of her. All right, we're going to move into the no BS zone. As I said, we're running a little bit out of time, so we won't get through all of them. Uh, But basically, there's 10 ways to improve your course strategy. First one, I think, Cindy, uh, is, is, is a, a given. We've talked about this um, aspect before. First one is know your distances. Uh, this sounds very obvious, but surprisingly, a lot of new golfers don't. And to give you an example, and you, I'm sure, have come across a very similar conversation, but um, you know, a lot of times we might ask a student, you know, as an example, you know, how far are you hitting your, your seven iron, let's say. And you know, a student might come back and say, well, you know, I'm hitting it you know, 170, 175. And, you know, I would come back and say, well, is that a well-struck or is that an average distance? And a lot of times it's a well-struck. They don't really know their averages. I think it's extremely important, do you not agree, as a player, that you have to know your distances for each club? Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to play well. Well, I mean, but you know what I mean? I mean, how many times have you heard this? And, you know, I'm sure in pro-ams and that, and players might say, well, you know, I, I normally hit my five iron, uh, you know, uh, you know, 185, let's say, as an example. Um, but that's not an average. A lot of times that's their best shot. So when they get faced with that distance, they think automatically it might be their five iron, but it may not be because they're not consistently hitting that particular club. So 
I think it's important, and there's a lot of great ways to do this. I mean, with technology nowadays, uh, whether you're working with a, a, a professional that has uh, access to this technology, um, you know, there's uh, FlightScope and TrackMan and that, you can actually get to know your numbers and get your distances, and you can work uh, through a process there. Or there's a lot of, um, uh, like, mini, uh, uh, what am I looking at, mobile launch monitors out there available on the market that are uh, less than $500. So if you're somebody that's really serious, that plays a lot, uh, obviously beginners may not want to invest in that, but somebody that plays a lot uh, maybe doesn't uh, you know, have access to some of the others. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, mobile launch monitors on the market. Some of them are just a few hundred dollars. Uh, it's well worth the investment if you play or want to play a lot of golf because you need to know those numbers. Uh, next one we're going to move on, sorry to be brushing through these, um, is you need to know your shot dispersion. So essentially what I'm saying is, again, it's not just the distance and how far you're going, but are you spraying them around? Or, you know, where's the circle? Where's the pattern? Um, Cindy, give me your thoughts here. I think, I think it's not crucial necessarily for every level of player, but I think you have to have a general idea of how you're hitting your, your shots, um, where they're trailing off and so forth. Give us your thoughts here. Um, you know, what's funny is I have students that say that they want to learn to um, move the ball to draw it and fade it. Mm-hmm. And and I say, you know, why don't we learn how to hit it straight? Because if you try <laughs> to hit it straight and you hit a little draw or a little fade, it's not a big deal. Right. So, yeah, you've got to play with the person that showed up on the range that morning. <clears throat> but I think if you know your swing <clears throat> and like Gina just said she said I'm going to stand there and practice until I get it and I know mm-hmm. the feel and if you don't then you really don't own it so I think the number one thing is to know your swing and then you know it might fade a little bit draw a little bit but if you aim it at the center of the green you ought to hit the green therefore I think sometimes people think too much and try too hard to hit it a certain way and don't pay attention right. to what they're doing at the club. That would be my answer. Yep. That's a very interesting perspective as well. Um, number three is know the good and bad misses. Uh, so understanding your game, again, basically what we just talked about is understanding where um, where the good shots are going to be. So, for instance, you know, maybe you uh, – if you're going for the green, it's uh, you might want to look at three possible pin locations and formulate a strategy. So, uh, so some students, uh, for an example, I've seen them where they'll do a red, amber, and green approach. So red is a more conservative target, uh, playing away from the pin. Green is a more direct shot at the pin, uh, and obviously amber is somewhere sort of in between. And I, I think again, this goes to what Gina was talking about as well. You know, sort of the difference between the the uh, Epson Tour and the LPGA, um, you know, the LPGA tends to not be as aggressive, and I'm not saying they're not, but uh, some of the players are not as aggressive because the, the greens are not as forgiving, uh, perhaps, as they are, were, as from what she indicated, as the Epson Tour. So I think understanding where your good shots are going and understanding the bad misses and using what that knowledge to help you um, make better informed decisions. What do you think, real quick? Absolutely. Go to the fat part of the green. Yep. I agree. Go in with the strategy. Here's number four, sorry, without getting picked, win. Exactly. Uh, number four, getting the ball into the scoring zone. 
basically means obviously you want to find out uh, and through practice you want to get into uh, and that kind of goes off the, the last one a little bit is is you might want to be a little bit more aggressive uh, so you want to get it into an ability so let's say if you're a pretty good putter within 10 feet um, then you might want to try to get that ball within 10 feet uh, to give yourself a, a higher probability of, of putting well uh, if you're not a real great putter um, obviously you want to try to get close as well um, but um, you want to make sure that you're putting yourself in a position that you're giving yourself the best possible chance. So, you know, being below the hole where you've got maybe an uphill putt as opposed to a downhill, you know, right to left break, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's a, a pretty typical one. Um, I want to move on. As I said, we're getting close to our time. Um, number five is knowing how lie affects distance. And I'm going to let you talk about this one. Um, a little bit because this is something that you know we never have a perfect lie out in the golf course very rarely anyways um, we need to understand how the ball is affected by the various different lies maybe give us a, a couple of examples again if it's going uphill it's gonna not go as far and some of our uh, range finders now have slope which you cannot use during a tournament but when I play practice rounds, I use my range finder, my voice caddy range finder, um, to find out it, uphill or downhill and how many yards extra it will play, which is mm -hmm. really amazing. So I've had some that are so uphill that it's plus 10 yards, which is an extra right. club, and then you add the, that, and it's plus two clubs. So it's very important that you know. Yep. And, and also, too, there's other side hill uh, lies and that sort of thing as well. So as an example, if the ball is above your feet or below your feet, um, ball above your feet, uh, the, the ball flight is going to be more of a right to left. So you have to factor that in, especially if you're going for the green. Um, hopefully there's not a lot of trouble around, so you have some room to work with. But you may have to allow for 5 to 10 yards. You may have to aim right of your intended target to allow for that, that right-to-left ball flight if, you're, if the ball is above your feet. And conversely, if the ball is below your feet uh, on a side hill lie, um, then you might have to play uh, five, maybe ten yards, depending on the severity of the slope, to the left of your intended target to allow for that fade. Um, and that's going to happen as a result of the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the slope and, and that. So those are things that you need to understand. Um, number six, I think this is really important, uh, goes to your short game knowing your favorite wedge yard is. So if, if you're pitching wedge or maybe it's a, another wedge that you have in the bag, um, this is important because this, I think, Cindy, w you would agree that knowing and understanding how it goes back to the distances, but particularly with your wedges, your short game is crucial. That's where you're going to score uh, most of your, your uh, shots. And if you don't know how far you're hitting your wedges, uh, particularly your favorite wedge, um, that can put you in a real mess. And it also helps you set up. So maybe you want to add anything to that? It's also important to know which yardage do you love, which yardage do you hate, and, you know, right. what are you trying to avoid so that if you're on a par five and you have to lay up because of water, how far do you lay up because you want the club that you're most comfortable going into the green with? And if you don't think mm -hmm. that thought, you've got a 20-yard, you know, sand wedge over water, you know, are your butt cheeks going tight and are you afraid <laughs> to hit the shot? I mean, you don't want that to happen. So make sure you know your perfect yardages. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, number seven, know the holes where bogey is an acceptable score. Um, and I'm going to take it a little bit further. I think particularly for, and you've mentioned this before, I think for players that are struggling to break 100, I think you need to change par. Instead of a par 3, par 4, par 5, make them a par 4, uh, par 5, and a par 6. And if you par every hole, you've now shot 90. Um, or sorry, if you uh, bogey, I'm sorry, if you bogey every hole um, and no worse, you've now uh, easily broken 100, you've shot 90. And I think that that is a great way to approach this, for, especially for players that are not very good. Um, some might even want to, you know, if you're really shooting over 100, might even want to, on, on some of the, um, you know, par fours and par fours, uh, fives rather, make them a double bogey uh, as your par and, and work your way down from there. Um, but I think it's important to know the holes. You know, Nicholas always talked about there were certain holes, certain golf courses that didn't play to his eye. And he always said that he was happy if he could walk away with a par. Um, I think this is important as well. Um, what do you think? Totally agree. Totally agree. I think also, as Gina was talking, um, there's so much pressure to perform, and that mm -hmm. pressure isn't just for tour players and where you finish and when you go to Q series, I got to make the cut, then I got to drive, and I got to go somewhere else. I got to, got to, got to. So if you um, change your and have a personal par, and be realistic in your goals and your expectations, and you say, well, let's go through my home golf course, and the first hole is 420 yards, and you hit your driver 200 yards. Well, you're not going to reach the green in two. So that's a par five for you. So if you change right. what par is. You lower your expectations, therefore you don't feel as bad about yourself. Like she was saying, you're in a hotel room with four walls and a TV, and you're sitting there browbeating yourself about how bad you are. Um, mm -hmm. That needs to stop. It's just it's not good for you. So make your personal par, and then be grateful that you can achieve it. Your goal. Yep. And then you you adjust it as you become better and more. And as she pointed out, as you become more confident in your game then you can make some adjustments along the way. But that's a great place. And see, that's the, the problem is most amateurs don't, uh, number one, they don't practice with purpose, but they don't really come to, to the golf course with a game plan. They just come out and say, well, par 72, and I'm going to you know, shoot whatever I can shoot and just try to hit the ball as best I can. And they don't really have a strategy when they go there. And that's what really a lot of these points are talking about. Uh, number eight is know when to take your medicine. So, um, you know, Tiger famously uh, used to say, you know, he wasn't playing his A game. Maybe it was his B game or C game. Uh, I don't think I ever heard him say C game, but um, I get you get the gist. Um, so for all of us, we're not always going to play our best every time we, we uh, step up to the tee. So we have to be prepared uh, to adapt and adjust accordingly. That doesn't mean you're going to shoot a bad score necessarily. It just means you may have to adjust. You're not hitting your 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 uh, shots as solidly as you'd normally do, so you adapt. Maybe instead of typically hitting the ball relatively straight, you've got a little bit of a, a you know a fade or even a bit of a slice uh, happening today. Work with what you've got. So be prepared to take your medicine. Don't be too uh, aggressive on those shots. Um, scale it back a little bit. That doesn't mean you don't go out and try and, and give your best effort, 
but you be realistic uh, based on the, the level of play that you're coming with. Um, I'm going to skip by that one again, Cindy, just because of time. Uh, improve your, and again, this is for maybe more advanced players, I don't necessarily think for, but improve your golf IQ. People factor in wind and, and so forth. I mean, you need to be cognizant of that, um, Cindy, but I, I think that there are a lot of things that you can do uh, to improve your, your golf IQ, maybe having a better understanding of the golf course. What do you think? I, I agree, but again, if you just try to make a personal par and set realistic expectations, and what should I shoot at this course? Try to go for broke, and you know, let's mm-hmm. say you're, it's if I par in, I can shoot 76, and you add that up, and then you go triple, triple, triple. You know, so just try to play within your own skill level and make a personal yeah. par, then you play a lot better and score better and have more fun. Yeah, and some other ways real quick that you can sort of beef up your, your golf IQ is number one, as I mentioned, you know, be familiar with your course. If you're, uh, you know, a new member, let's say, at a golf course or maybe uh, you're playing a, a local uh, municipal course in your area that you haven't really played before, um, you know, familiarize with it, uh, get familiar with, with the lay of the land, if you will. The other thing, too, is, and, and this is something, and I'm not asking for, you know, people to go to hurricane, you know, force winds, but... You know, don't always pick the most perfect practice days to go to the range to hit balls. You know, it doesn't always have to be perfectly sunny and shining. You know, maybe it's drizzled a little bit. There's a little bit of rain. Certainly don't go out there if there's, you know, thunder and lightning, but um, they won't let you out anyways. But, um, you know, or maybe after it's rained when it's a little bit damp in that. So you kind of get familiar with what, what the ball's going to react in those kind of conditions. So there's a lot of different things that you can do uh, to sort of beef up that IQ. And the last one is really kind of interesting. Uh, and that is uh, score your rounds by factors such as your course strategy. So, um, for instance, you might want to get yourself into a golf state of mind. And these are process goals. This helps your mental game. So you, you break it down, and I'm just going to give a, a general idea, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is break it down into um, three areas. So full shots, short game, and putting. So you might want to pick um, four areas in each. So, for instance, in full shot, um, you want to have your number one, you're going to have four four points here that you're going to follow. Number one is going to be clear targets. So you want to assess what your target is. Number two is you want to visualize the shot you're going to need to hit. Number three is something very simple we all do, but sometimes we don't do it effectively, and that is the breathe. Make sure you're taking in some good deep breaths and, and regulating your breathing. And then number four is to commit. Commit to the shot and the decision that you've made. And you can score yourself, too, based on how you feel you did in those points. Now, obviously, if you're playing with a group of people, um, you don't want to uh, necessarily tie it up. But if you're just out there by yourself having some fun, uh, short game, same thing. You might want to have a landing uh, spot that you pick out. Uh, maybe you want to factor in the trajectory as well. Again, number two would be visualize. Number three might be feel. Number four might be light hands. Uh, and then putting, uh, again, you have something, finding a spot, visualize, feel, uh, maybe work on your tempo, uh, and again, light hands as well. So those are sort of to help your mental side of things is picking things at process and then sort of rank yourself on how you feel you did through that process for each of those types of shots. I want to get your thoughts on that, Cindy. It's something I came across uh, when I was preparing for today, and it was very interesting that this gentleman uh, out of Washington, uh, David McKenzie, uh, is a, a, a coach, if you will, helps on the short game. This is something that he put together, and I think it's very interesting. What are your thoughts? Give me the four things again. Uh, so, uh, for as I said, for pick these are process. These are these. Yeah. yeah. So for a full shot, cl- pick pick your target, visualize, breathe, and commit. 
That's great. That was, for, yeah. Again, and that was for a full think, shot. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, here's why it's so good. Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a routine, then your little gerbil in your head is going to scream things out to you. Look out for the water. Be careful of the trees. Don't go in the bunker. All those things. So if you have a, a routine and a process that you can follow, mm-hmm. you're training your brain to think unemotionally, which is what you need right. to do to be able to get the shot. So I totally agree with all of this. Yeah, and that's really essentially what this whole process is, is that this is part of your pre-shot routine. This is what you're thinking about as you're getting ready to hit that shot. And you're exactly right. It causes you to focus on something that is obviously going to be beneficial for you, um, and it helps you sort of get away from all of the negative chatter that gets into your head. As you said, the gerbil hears you know, uh, what it hears, and um, you know, this is a great way to do that. So those are just some thoughts. Those are the, the 10 uh, ways to improve your course strategy. If you miss them or catching, catching us towards the end of the show, you can go back to uh, listen to it in the recorded version at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash women of golf, and you can check that and our interview earlier on uh, with LPJ Tour Professional Gina Kim. Um, a special thanks again to her for joining us this morning. And um, I think that's it, Cindy. I think we can wrap it up. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning here on the Women of Golf. And Cindy and I will see you next week here on the program. Thanks, Cindy. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.